Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. Well, welcome. If you are just joining us in our series that we kicked off uh, a couple of weeks ago, I want to say that uh, this is a place, a space for imperfect parents uh, raising imperfect kids, a support group, if you want to call it that, or grandparents or aunts and uncles who say, I don't have kids. I came on the wrong Sunday. No, no, no. You have an opportunity. If you're in this room, you're old enough to impact the future generation. So don't exclude yourself because it maybe is not a present right this moment situation, a, an itch that you need to scratch, but expand your vision of what it means to influence the next generation. We're calling it again, intentional parenting. You can zap that QR code and that will take you to our online um, bulletin, which there's some resources in there uh, that you'll want to zap and you'll want to take advantage of because there's been giving you some homework over the past couple of weeks. And so homework is due today. So we're going to talk about that as we jump into this uh, message. Today, I want to talk about a father's aim. Now, that doesn't exclude the ladies, okay? In fact, everything I say today actually will apply to the women as well. In a few weeks, Lori's going to come up and she's going to talk about what every child needs from the mother. At the same time, I'll say this, 90% of what she's going to share, it will be relevant to the father. So again, don't exclude yourself from, from, from that as well. But if you've realized this, if you have uh, children two years or older, raise your hand, okay? Two years or older, okay? Uh, now, uh, I, I, I know there's some in this room, Tyler and Taylor, your uh, you're new parents, or maybe you, all of your kids are under two. Raise your hand. Anybody in the room? Okay, you're right there, okay? Okay, welcome. You guys are immortal, invincible, uh, all-knowing, omnipotent, omnipresent in that child's life. You know it all. In one year or two years from now, you will start knowing less and less. Uh, uh, when they turn terrible twos, all of a sudden there will be this little, why? I thought I had it all figured. It's, it's, it's funny talking to young married couples when they talk about, and I'm getting ready to do their, 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 their marital counseling or something like that and talk about parenting and things like that. It's funny to talk to them because they kind of have it all figured out. You know, this is what my parents did for 20 years and I'm not doing that to my kids. Or things like that kind of, uh, kind of get in there. I just chuckle inside or sometimes I actually let it out. Um, and, uh, and, and, and kind of hear that because you, you read all the books, you listen to all the podcasts, you, you, again, you're writing all the wrongs of your upbringing and uh, you've got it figured out. And, and then all of a sudden again, ones and twos come along and then you're calling in 911 for help. Hey mom, what did you do when that happened? Or hey dad, what, what, what I say here? What I do here? And it just continues to only get worse. So that's the good news. It's only going to get worse. This is just something to hang your hat on. Every year, the kids get smarter and more independent and you get dumber and more irrelevant. So that's just the reality as a parent. Um, I, I would say you could probably even graft it out like this. 
So look at this graph. You see in the beginning, you're the smartest person on the planet, but you move to the dumbest person on the planet about, by the time they're 20, and they're the most, the, the smartest people out there. So you could live in this kind of crossover. And when does that crossover happen? About the time they're tweens. All right. When they start having puberty, when they start going through all these life changes, when they start getting all their friends around them, you become again less relevant, and you become dumber and dumber. Uh, and and you're kind of having to figure this out. And here's the here's a great quote, long quote. Let me let me jump into it. Albert Siegel said it like this, because this is the reality of parenting. When it comes to rearing children. Every society is only 20 years away from barbarianism. 20 years is all we have to accomplish the task of civilizing the infants who are born into, the midst, uh, into our midst each year. These savages know nothing of our language, our culture, our religion, our values, our customs, our interpersonal relations. The infant is totally ignorant about uh, communism and fascism and democracy and civil liberties and uh, rights of the minorities and uh, as contrasted with the prerogatives of the majorities and the respect and decency and honesty and customs and conventions and manners. You see where we're going with this. The barbarian must be tamed if civilization is to survive. That's your 20-year task. Okay? And if you fail or you don't take it seriously, I'll say that we're all going to fail. We're all going to mess up. But if you don't take that seriously, then we're going to have a bunch of barbarians on our hands running our government, uh, running our society. We have to be ever so careful. And you don't just let the kids grow up on their own. Just because your, your, your government issued ID says you're an adult. Just because you can vote and just because you can drink or just because you're this or just because you've graduated doesn't necessarily mean you're adult. Now, you may be adulting, but you're not um, is really maybe the man or the woman that God really wants you to be. We're going to have to parent on purpose. Um, what it means to be a man. I'm gonna, again, I'm going to talk a lot today to the fathers, but it applies to all of us. What does it mean to be a man? Now, I grew up in a home where it was the inconsistent father figure. I didn't have that consistent father figure in the home. Um, what does it mean to be a man? Am I just supposed to figure this out on my own? Because a lot of that's exactly what happened. I would have a mentor here, a mentor there. I would have people in my life. That's why I speak to everyone. If you have kids or you don't have kids, you can majorly impact people's lives. Across the, across the United States, a survey was done asking men this question. What does it mean to be a man and how have you helped develop your children into being a man? Answering that very question. Interesting find is that 53% of just USA dads uh, have talked with their sons about what it means to be a man. Now, that's more than 50%, but that just basically means one out of every two boys that is inviting your girl to go to prom is not been talked about being a man and what it means to be a man. And that's a pretty scary reality, that you got a 50-50 chance, flip a coin, 
that you're going to go on a date, you're going to get married to somebody who's spent intentional time in developing this man who knows how to shave, and that's maybe it in the manhood, and, and he's going to be the one I'm going to raise the next generation with, these barbarians with. You, you see what I'm saying? That there has to be intentionality. Now, here's something that I think that the church Christian faith has stepped into is we have realized it is very important that we understand what a man is and what we understand how to get that passed down to the next generation because of the men who have, were in this same survey that are active in their faith, serving the Lord, faithful to their church, putting a priority as faith development in their, faith fa- in, in their family, the percentage of men who have talked to the boys about what it means is 73%. So the best fa- the net, net of that is the best, uh, 76%. The best <laughs> message in that is find your future mate in church. That's one thing. But look inside the family. What does it mean to be an adult if we're going to raise adults and raise men and women? Take your Bibles and open to the book of Psalm. Psalm 127 is where we'll be today. I hope when you came in today, you got this little sheet of paper and maybe you even picked up one of our prayer cards that we passed out. I'll come to that in a a little bit so you can put it off to the side. But we're going to be in the middle of a section of the book of Psalms that is 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 going to be a, what's called the Psalms of Ascent. Now, without going into all the history on this, the Psalms of Ascent was what was was saying by the people of the Hebrew people as they were ascending up into Jerusalem to go to the place of worship. So it's kind of important. It was a place of worship. It was preparing their heart to worship, and these are the Psalms that they would sing. There's a whole section of there, the Psalms of Ascent. However, most of them were written by David, many people believe, but the ones that we're going to read today, the one that we're going to read today was actually written by Solomon. Solomon is a person who is a very influential person, wrote 3,000 Proverbs. We're going to look not at his Proverbs today, we're going to look at one of his 1,000 songs that he wrote, because he actually also wrote songs. And this is one of the, the, the Psalms. Now, in all of Proverbs... When you read, uh, when you read uh, uh, Solomon's writings, 23 different times he is going to encourage, encourage, exhort men and girls to listen to your mother's and father's instruction. Pay attention to them. So you can hear even in, as you read in chapter 1 of, of Proverbs, you're going to hear how Solomon is being very intentional as a father. So when we read this today, we're talking about an intentional father modeling for us what it means to be an intentional father. So just hang on to that. We're learning by mentorship here. But if you notice the very first words, if you have uh, the Psalms open uh, to 127, the very first words in my text, this is the song of the scent of Solomon. So this one is a unique one that is from Solomon himself. And as he writes this out, you got to also realize Psalm 127 is only five verses. Then it goes into Psalm 128, rocket science there, I know. Uh, but Psalm 128 continues on in a theme. Now, we don't know if it came from Solomon or if it came from David or where who it came from. But here's the point. Notice this. When you start building out these psalms, you see in Psalm 127, 
the inception of the home. 127, 3 to 5, the birth of the family, the training of the children, the blessing of that next generation upon all the nations of the world. So literally, as you're parenting, as you're thinking about parenting, be thinking about what are my kids, how are they going to be a part of blessing the nations in future generations? Remember a few weeks ago, I asked you to write a vision for your family, a vision for your children. What if your vision included something to the effect that my children will be a blessing in the future generations to the nations of the world? So continue to work on that and continue to massage that as you see the Psalms roll out here. Look at Psalm chapter 27, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Hang on to that word vain because it's going to appear three other times in the very first words of this passage. It means empty. It means, uh, it means inconsequential. It means a quality of being futile. It means that there's just a void in it, okay? There's a lot of things you can do to try to rewrite the family, right? We're trying to do that. We're trying to redefine the family. We're trying to make family things that it's not intended to be. We need to let God design the family since he's the one who designed it in the beginning. And build off of his design, and that is a beautiful thing that is supposed to go the test of time. The New Living Translation puts this same phrase differently. He says, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. I don't want to live a wasted family life. I don't want to live a wasted child-rearing years. So let that be a part of our thinking today. And then he goes on and he talks about vanity in two other, in two other ways. And he says, the watchman, he says, the Lord watches over the city as the watchman stays awake in vain. Listen, the greatest protector of your home is not bubble wrapping your home, bubble wrapping your kids, helicopter parenting in. The greatest protection is the Lord. How have you brought the Lord as a part of the protection of your family? And then he gives us one more vanity, uh, if you will. And this is the vanity of trying to get the family more and more stuff, working harder and longer to get more and more things so that our family will be more comfortable in the lifestyle. When he says it's vain to rise up early and stay up late and eat the bread of painful labor eating the bread of anxious toil, for the Lord gives to his beloved even in their sleep. There's a lot of families who will just churn out the hours and the work and the job and the money to get more and more and more and more, and it is vanity. It's time to stop the vanity of insanity. In our world today, who's going to build your home? Who's going to protect your kids? How are you going to, how are you going to provide for your family in a way that doesn't rob from your family? He gives us three vanities, which is a major theme in, in, in Solomon's writing. You read through his memoirs of Ecclesiastes and you're going to find that Solomon himself struggled with vanity after vanity after vanity. We're going to have to figure out what it is we're going to focus our family on. What it is, what model we're going to follow after. And so as we think about this today, we think about our our next generation. Where are we aiming them? If we're aiming them at more and more stuff and more and more things, you're going to stay up late, work all night, go into debt, 
You're going to do all of that kind of stuff. And that's going to be the, the, the track that you're on. You're going to eat the bread of painful labors, anxious labors. What it is that you're going to set your focus on, you're going to aim your children towards, you're going to aim the next generation towards. There's two aims that I want us to see that we need to uh, unpack as parents. And one is we need to understand that children are a heritage. Appreciate them. Appreciate them. It says that children are a heritage. They're a reward. There's actually value attached to your children. To the next generation, there's value to your grandkids. There's value to your niece and nephews. Well, what does it mean to value them? If you've been entrusted a, a gift of anything, take it out of the family, take it out of people and children. If you've been entrusted something, you can spend it and be done with it. Or you can invest in it and reinvest it and it grow in its value. What he's really calling us to is heritage as if it's a gift that should grow in value for next and future generations. It's not a kid that we raise and send out. In fact, the U.S. Agricultural does a study on a regular basis. I was not able to find the latest study, but they asked the question, what does it take to raise a kid these days? 18, to get them from birth to 18, it's going to cost you, again, old numbers, but it gives you an idea, $242,600. All right, that child tax credit that you get every year means nothing to that. That's about thirteen dollars to $14,000 a year, and that's what you're going to spend it on if you're the average Joe. Okay, according to the U.S. Agricultural Association. So just think about that. Am I, am I going to quantify that and put a dollar figure on that? Or am I going to look at the future generation and just, I'm not just spending them to get them out the door, or I'm, I'm reinvesting them to make them something better, make this world better? We ask sometimes, like, what do I want my child to be? What do I want my child to be? If you're setting that vision out there, what do I want my child to be? Is not what I want my child to be be in their job. I want my child to be in their person. You want to increase their value? Yeah, give them an education. Yeah, I'll encourage them to get a, a gainful employment. But being is different than doing. Being is different than having. What do I want my child to have? I want them to have what I didn't have. I want them to have more. I want them to go further places. That's have. This is do, I want my child to be. Again, your homework assignment two weeks ago was to look at a long list of possible values or characters that, you're, that you could look at. Let's throw that up on the screen. This is just a non-exhaustive list. What would, if you could only choose 10 of them, what would your 10 be? Again, this should be in, in the digital form on, online if you want to look at it that way. But if you look up there, if you could only choose 10, did you choose your 10? Because when you look at this list, hopefully they maybe came out, but there's the fruit of the Spirit hidden in there. I want my children to have those. I want, I want those qualities because if, if, if they're not uh, physically fit, and again, that's important. If they're not leadership people, if they're not business acumen, okay, those are all good things. Nothing up there is bad, but I can't give them everything. I want to make sure that they have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control to make it in life. 
So when you're thinking about what I want my child to be, think about the spiritual gifts. When Paul was talking and uh, was talking to his churches and even young Timothy, he would always have these prayers, and he, he he saw his life with Timothy as as raising Timothy up in the faith and as a beautiful relationship. But even when he was talking to the church at Thessalonica, that he was a part of their faith journey, he talks to them as if he's a father. So I want to take what Paul does there, bringing it in to try to understand how is it that I can increase the value, the heritage of my children. Paul prays this, now that now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. So you want to pray for your children? God, make them holy, set apart, beautiful. Holiness is like God. It's his number one attribute. Holy, 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 Isaiah said. God, I want to make them like you. I want want my child to be and look and act and smell and taste and function like you. I want them to look, listen, lead, and love a little bit more like you every day, Jesus. If you don't have anything to pray, pray that for your children. I want them to look, listen, lead, and love a little bit more like you, Jesus, every day. I want to make them holy in every way. May they be whole in spirit, whole in soul, whole in body, kept blameless until the Lord Jesus comes. Now, that's Paul emphasizing spirit, soul, and body. Jesus talks about how you love Jesus how we should love him. And he says, I want you to love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Now notice the parallels. Paul's praying that, that would be, they would be holy. Jesus is saying, I want you to, to love me with all of these parts of this trichotomy of who you are, this makeup of who you are. You have a body, you have a soul, you have a spirit. And so if you're going to reinvest and grow the wealth of, your, uh, of the value of your children, then invest in their spiritual well-being, their soul. Invest in their spiritual. Let's not just drop them off over in the preschool department, pray they take care of them for the next hour. You get them 100 plus hours in the week. One hour in preschool is not going to quite cut it. What are you doing spiritually? Jonathan Edwards is a person I'm reading quite a bit on right now. And in fact, I've got my, one of my summer reads uh, that I'm, I've already ordered and looking forward to reading it, The Life and the Character of Mr. Jonathan Edwards. It's written back a uh, long time ago, back when Jonathan Edwards was alive. Jonathan Edwards was a great pastor, teacher, leader, president of, of Yale University. Whole, whole long story about him. I'll come to that actually in the end. But Samuel Hopkins wrote this biography on his life and the character of Jonathan Edwards. And he got inside of his family. Because here's this great theologian. Here's this president of Yale University. Here's this guy that impacted the, the world through the Great Awakening. Here's this incredible spiritual leader. But he got inside of his home and watched how he acted and interacted with his kids. And this is what he said. Hopkins said this. He says he took opportunity to converse with with them singly and particularly about their soul's concerns. He listened to not just their words, but their souls. What's going on in their soul? He goes on, Edwards made a point to single out individual children from the humming family hive. He had 11 children. He singled them out. Went on daddy-daughter dates. 
pulled them aside that he would know each of them, each one in turn, uh, 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 in turn by himself. He spent individual time with them, listening to their soul. Listen, as a parent, are you listening to the soul concerns of your children? We talked about this prayer card and being able to pray through your children's life, knowing how to have these conversations. They don't have to be major retreats around different places and all that kind of stuff. You can do this in the car. You can do this at bedtime. You can do this at dinner time. There's so many things. I'm giving you one more resource this week. When you think about the soul care of your children, I want you to have this sheet of paper in hand. And I want you to think about each child in your home, each grandchild, each niece or nephew that you have. I want you to write them out. And then I want you to to really assess how well do you know them. Now, there's a lot of things on here like what role they have in the family, what's their gifted, how are they wired, that will help you. And by the way, I have a date on these because children uh, change over time. You're going, to see, you're going to see them morph over time. And so this will change. You maybe do it once every two or three years. Maybe you do it once a year. And you just try to assess. But here's the one that I want you to zero in on. All of these are important. But what lie are they prone to believe? Because there's a lot of lies out there. What lie are they prone to believe? And that is a prayer target. That is a spiritual conversations target for you moving into the future. So, spiritual, soul. Number two is emotional heart. That heart level. Love me with all your heart. I want you to be emotionally well, holy. What does that mean? We all carry wounds. We all have been hurt. We all will hurt. We've all been not chosen for the basketball team. We've all been dumped by a boy or a girl. We've all been hurt by somebody. Betrayed by others. Stabbed in the back. What do you do with that? Here's some questions. What happened? Name it. Be specific about it. Talk to your kids. What happened? What did you feel? Help them, help yourself articulate the pain that you've gone through in that. How did you respond? Own it. Maybe you reacted and you didn't respond. Help them work through things emotionally. How did, how did this shape you? Realizing that it is shaping you even to this day. The hurt, the pain, the betrayal. What did you go through and how is it shaping you? Understand it. What did you learn? Extract from it. Don't waste a pain. Don't waste it. What, did I, what, did, what, am I, what can I draw out from this? And then, how can I grow from this? How can I grow? How can can I be better? How can I help other people? How can I use this? These are just a process. Now, here's the thing. When you look at that list up there, most people will go to number one and two. Few people will go to the deeper levels of emotional health. Emotional health is as important as spiritual health. I will say this. Some of the times what will keep us from being spiritually healthy is sometimes our lack of emotional health. Most people will not hit the last four questions because it starts hurting. Lean in towards the pain. And when your kids are there, lean in. Give them space, but lean in. Have that sensitivity to go there emotionally. There's also wisdom. He said, I want you to love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. 
There's a, there's a wisdom factor. If you really want to see where, where children are going to head out into this world and conquer this world and deal with this world, you've got to make sure there's truth, wisdom in your home. And unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain and who build it. But it's interesting in Proverbs 24, verse 3, it says it takes wisdom to build a house. So in Psalm 127, he says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain and build it. How is he going to build the house? He's going to build it through wisdom. Proverbs points that out to us. Where do you get your wisdom? Listen, it is not just how to fix a flat and change the oil in the car. That's important stuff. We wouldn't let our kids drive the car for the very first time until they could fix a flat. And, And teaching them how to shave without scarring their body, you know, it's kind of important things to learn in life. But you know what? The first conversations, these are, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is a list of conversations that you need to be ready, mom and dad, aunt and uncle, big brother, big sister, whoever you are, grandparent, this is a list of some of the things you need to be ready to talk about. Exposure to pornography. These are first and foremost things. First time they're exposed to pornography, we need to talk about it. You have to have to create a safe space for that to be able to happen. First date, that can be a train wreck. All right? Prepare them for it. All right? And don't just polish the gun, dads. That's more than that. First breakup. You remember your first breakup? The pain you went through on that one? Exposure to drugs? Exposure to LGBTQ+. That's a conversation that this world is having that if we don't have it in a safe space in our home with wisdom guiding us, it can get very dark very fast. First death, man, if you don't know how to deal with death, because you know what? The statistics are incredible. One out of every one person dies. I didn't know if you knew that. So helping your kids to navigate death is a very real thing first job. Just helping them interview for the first job. What does a work ethic look like? They're not going to learn this in the world necessarily. Again, they might, but you can't guarantee it. Exposure to racism, first time driving. There's so many things. You can unpack in those, but this is a list. Again, it's not comprehensive, but this is where wisdom has to be applied. Wisdom builds the home. Remember that. So one, his children are a heritage. I need to look at my kids as a gift from God that's a heritage that will be increased in value, not just spent, but reinvested into the future. Number two, how is this going to happen? As arrows. He changes the metaphor here. Arrows, we direct them. Okay? We point them in the right direction. John Tyson's, my favorite book out there in all the resources uh, is John Tyson's book, The Intentional Father. I made sure that was on the resource table. The, here's one of the quotes in the very first pages. There's, when there's no other generation intentionally ushering boys into manhood, when there is no tribe of mentors or fathers taking their sons or daughters along a predetermined path, many of our young men try uh, to establish themselves attempting to walk through the wilderness of adolescence with the hope that somehow they'll find their way into adulthood on their own. Listen, I said it earlier. 
What, the fact that you've been breathing for 21 years doesn't make you an adult. It just makes you responsible to be an adult. What's the plan that you have? What's, the, what, what, what's, what's going to be the definition for you and your home and your family? It wasn't probably 12 years. I didn't have a definition of what man, manhood was. And I had two boys. It was probably 12 years into, into their growing up. And Caleb was probably about 12 or 13. Whenever it's like, whoa, we need to get a definition around this. And this is the definition that, that we've landed on with the help of some great resources An authentic man is one who rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, and expects God's greater reward or invest eternally. And if you can talk to our kids and they'll tell you, you can talk to our boys and they'll tell you, an authentic man is one who rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, and anticipates a greater reward. That's the definition. What's the definition? Where are you directing the next generation? If you look at verse 4, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Listen, bad families happen by accident. Nobody wants that bad family. But good families happen on purpose. The next generation is not ready, fire, aim. Okay? that accidental hope-they-hit-the-target kind of parenting, it is ready, aim, fire. And if you look at the generations, if we're not careful, if we don't hear parents watching online, where you got to name the sins of past generations. Call them up. Say, we're not going there in the future generations. If you look at the scriptures and James, Dr. James uh, did it last week when he brought out, he brought out Abraham's family and the, the legacy of deception that just permeated from one generation into the next. Abraham lied twice about Sarah, Rebecca, and Isaac's marriage was racked with lies. And Jacob's, well, literally Jacob's name means deceiver. And finally, the 10 brothers deceived dad in saying that Joseph is dead as they sell him into slavery. It's one deception after another deception, and it gets worse and worse in every generation. David's legacy was of a sexual ex- uh, obsession. David had an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. It took him a year to confess that before God. Second generation, Amon rapes Tamar. His sister, Rehoboam, used women. Again, our sins perpetuate themselves. We will not see generations of righteousness if we aren't intentional as fathers and mothers in our home. Come back to Jonathan Edwards' family. The Edwards family was a family that, again, all of his history's out there. Go Google it. Read up on it. He's an incredible individual. He wasn't perfect. I read some things even, even last night. Ah, I wish that wasn't true of him. But here's the reality of his family life. One of... Uh, over the 20th centuries, uh, uh, excuse me, among the, the descendants in the last 20th century, uh, uh, there were 14 college presidents, 100 college professors, more than 100 lawyers, 30 judges, 60 physicians, more than 100 pastors, missionaries, and theolo- theological professors, and 60 authors. That's a pretty good lineage. That's a pretty good hey, I'm going to point my family in this direction. Now, they're going to make the choice on their own, but I'm going to point my family in this direction. 
At the same time, in the same century, at the same time, the Duke family was happening. And they were growing up. Their family tree does not look quite the same. The Duke family cost the state of New York millions of dollars over the years. Since the 18th century, the Jukes have produced 300 professional paupers, 60 thieves, 130 convicted criminals, 55 descendants from victims and sexual obsession, and only 20 ever learned a trade. Ten uh, of them learned uh, their trade in prison. And their family produced seven murderers. Listen, you've got to stop what's broken in the past and say, my family's moving in this direction. And I'm going to do everything to point those arrows in the right direction. But I want you to notice a phrase that you just cannot miss. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Your kids are arrows, okay? You're going to point them. Some of them are going to hit the target. There's only a level of what you can control, okay? What you can control is that word warrior. Am I a warrior? Ah, that sounds like some grandiose kind of title. Am I a warrior? According to the scriptures, this word is used 328 different times in the Old Testament, from Isaiah to Proverbs to Job to Psalms. And the ironic thing is, is a good chunk of the times in the Psalms and in Job and in Isaiah and in Proverbs, it is referring to God being the king warrior that he is. God is a warrior determined and passionate about seeing us as his children pointed in the right direction. I, as a parent, as a grandparent, need to be passionate like God about pointing my generation in the right direction. Listen, what do you do with this? I think as a parent, before you start pointing arrows in different directions, is first of all, ask the question, am I like God? Do I have a relationship with God? Does does my life represent the warrior life that God represents in my life? The courageous, passionate, follower of Jesus. That's where it starts, and you build from there. Would you bow your heads with me today? We held our hands out to start our service today, making room for Jesus. Maybe now it's time to respond to that. That invitation to make space in your life for Jesus. Making space may mean saying, yes, Jesus, I, from this day forward, will passionately follow you. I will, first of all, become a warrior myself. And secondly, I will then take the arrows and I will start pointing them in the direction that leads to a life, a whole life, a holy life of soul and body and spirit pointing to you, Jesus. Father, thank you for this time and space. And I pray for everyone Lord, that they will know where they are in their relationship with you. And Father, I pray if anybody is not 100%
convinced of the relationship with you, I pray right now you would help them to say yes to you, Jesus. Just say, Jesus, I want you. I want to be a warrior like you so I can point the next generation in the right direction in a passionate manner. Father, thank you for the gifts of the next generation, whether we're an aunt or uncle or grandparent, whether we're a parent, whether we just get to pour into as a meaningful mentor in people's lives. Lord, I pray that we understand the value and the role that we play in helping the next generation aim and be pointed in the right direction. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Would you stand with us and worship? Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live sent.